0: All right, good morning, good afternoon, and good evening. It's the Here Comes the Pain podcast. I'm your host, Joel Payne. We're presented by Hip Politics Network. Lots of great content there. Would encourage you to check out. Follow the show on Instagram, at Here Comes the Pain pod. That's at Here Comes the Pain, P-O-D. Follow me on Twitter, at Pain DC. That's at P-A-Y-N-E-D-C. Excited about our episode to lead off the week here because I have a guest who is a friend, and is a brilliant big mind that um, many folks will recognize from TV, from radio, from um, all sorts of places, from print. um, The great Dr. Jason Johnson. Jason, what's going on, man?
1: Look, I had no idea, and please forgive my ignorance on this. I don't know if you're going to put it in later, but please tell me. That you got Method Man's "Like I Come to Bring the Pain" as your intro. If you don't, I'm like thoroughly disappointed. I will put in a Patreon for you to raise the money to get the rights so that you can start this with "I Come to Bring the Pain." So, so you
0: just said it. You just said it right there, man. I got. I got to get that money. I got to get that second bag, man. So I'm, I'm working on it. We we're you know we're a little pop the trunk productions right now, but. When I get to that second contract, when I get like that, you know, that not that past that rookie contract in the NBA, that's when I'll that's when I'll get all the effects and everything like that. But for right now, right, it's bring the on. yeah.
1: John, John Heilman, do the little Woo symbol, you know? But, I mean, he's a big Wu-Tang fan. I'm sure you can get the proper attention. You can get the rights to it. I believe in you, Joel. Hey, you I know
0: believe that you can do this. and you know you know you're going to be av- uh, of counseling, you're going to be advised as soon as I get to that point, man. Um, <laughs> hey, thanks for thanks for joining me, man. I know you're super busy, so why don't we go ahead and get right into it? Um, promised you, or not you, but promised a wonderful guest to my viewers, and you were for, uh, you know, gracious enough to join me. And um, what I really wanted to talk about was the V stakes, right? The, the VP search, I think that's what everybody's focused on. It feels like there's maybe a little bit of a moving target on the timing here. Um, late last week, I think we were expecting – maybe early mid this week we get an announcement now we're starting to hear some rumblings that that might push back but but i thought it might be helpful for us to kind of start with maybe just being clear about like who the front runners are i i get the feeling that depending on who you talk to on what day you know there's there's a different group of front runners or a different group of people being considered so i'm gonna give you my list of tiers that i've put together and i want to see if you agree with me so i think the top tier is uh senator kamala harris from california um, former NSA uh, Susan Rice, uh, CBC Chair Karen Bass, and Senator Elizabeth Warren. That's that's Tier One, I would say. And then Tier Two, I think, is Congresswoman Val Demings. It is uh, former Georgia State uh, S- State Speaker uh, Stacey Abrams. It's Senator Tammy Duckworth, and it's M- New Mexico Governor Michelle Lujan Grisham. That to me is the top eight. Is there any? Is there anyone who you think? Definitely should not be there, or anyone you think I'm definitely like missing.
1: Man, look, tears are for baseball and losers. There ain't (laughs) no tears in this contest. There is.
0: Fair enough. Fair enough. It's gonna
1: be. It's gonna be either Elizabeth Warren or it's going to be Senator Harris. Okay. It's Kamala Harris or Elizabeth Warren. It ain't nobody else. The reason we know it's not anybody else at this point is because quietly over the last couple of weeks, if you've heard people have talked about the fact that they have not been asked to be vetted. And vetting, uh, unless you are already a public figure who's gone through a tremendous amount of scrutiny, right? Somebody like Harris or Warren, we already know they've been vetted because they also, they went through a primary. Uh, but if you're talking about Akisha Lance Bottoms, if you're talking about Duckworth, if you're talking about uh, Stacey Abrams, if they weren't getting their vetting package, you know, sometime in May, then they're not on the list. So it's really down to You know them, and and look. I think that Karen Bass is really qualified and great and wonderful. I think Val Demings is qualified and great and wonderful. I think Susan Rice is great and wonderful. But it ain't gonna be any of those people. It's gonna be one of these two. And I'm not even a gambling man. And since none of us can go to Vegas anytime soon, I won't be able to test this. But my guess is it'll be Senator Harris. If you look at Biden's fundraising schedule this week, he's meeting. He's doing fundraisers with almost all the other um, potential VP picks. The only one he's not doing. Is Senator Harris, which says to me they probably already know what they're gonna
0: do. Okay, so that's interesting. So, okay, so humor me this then. Let's focus on these four people. Kamala Harris, Elizabeth Warren, Susan Rice, Karen Bass. I'm going to throw Rice and Bass in there because I think if you just think about the Chatter, you know, the Chatterazzi in D.C., I think those are the four names that get the most buzz. So why don't we focus on those four women who are extremely well qualified and with an acknowledgement, as I know you would agree, that all of the women who have been nominated or not nominated, but have been mentioned are all incredibly qualified and would be tremendous upgrades over Mike Pence. Uh, Let's just let's just put it like that. But let's talk about those four women. So I almost want to kind of do a tale of the tape of almost like pros and cons. And again, Mm -hmm. not trying to pit people against each other, but just trying to think about if you're the Biden campaign, how are you thinking about these candidates vis-a-vis how Joe Biden is going to bring this home this November? So let's start actually with Senator Kamala Harris now. I think and I I want to actually have a a conversation a little bit later about all the chatter around Ed Rendell and Chris Dodd and you know the VP search committee but let's just talk about Kamala Harris like what makes her a great candidate just you Jason Johnson you know MSNBC political contributor um, you know professor of politics etc what do you think distinguishes her from the group
1: I mean she ran into primary she's a black woman she's high profile She's done uh, an excellent job in hearings against Brett Kavanaugh, uh, against William Barr, uh, against Jeff Sessions. Um, So she has a national profile.
0: Do you think that the very kind of aggressive pushback of Joe Biden that she prosecuted in that, I think it was maybe the fifth debate um, where she was talking about busing, it, what, what do you think about that? Just in terms of being a potential kind of mark against her, I think some people. I think if if you you know if you were just kind of talking to political pros like me and you, I think they would point out two things. It, it's that moment, and it's the idea that she really. I think some people might say she mismanaged her campaign, or her campaign was mismanaged, whether or not she was the person well, that did it. I,
1: look, I don't know if I can say her campaign was mismanaged. It wasn't that. It wasn't that good. And when you drop out before you get to the first primary, you can't say that you had a particularly successful campaign. Um, but look, I don't think that moment is that big a deal. I don't. That's something for a bunch of political insiders and and older sexist men who have bruised egos to care about. I mean, give me a break. You know, it, George Bush said that that you know Reagan's economic plans were voodoo economics. Okay. I mean, like these guys, they, you know that was thirty some forty years ago. I guess at this point. Um, You know people say things about each other in the primary and everybody always pretends oh my god what's going to happen when the opponent runs a commercial it's not going to matter it's not going to matter harris is qualified harris could make a perfectly safe reasonable running mate pick i have thought all along that he was going to pick senator harris um do i think she has some cons of course she does i i don't find her and and i've I've followed around back and we were able to leave our homes I don't think this is, I don't think Senator Harris necessarily moves the crowd. I don't think Senator Harris picks up any particular demographic that Joe Biden wasn't already gonna get. Uh, I just wrote a piece for the Grio about a week and a half ago discussing the possibility. Of, I talked to, to ten black women and got their opinions, discussing the possibility of if you know Biden picks Warren over Harris. The fact of the matter is there are there are lots of black women who really like Elizabeth Warren. And Given that Trump is an existential threat, I don't see, you know, there's not some large group of black people that Joe Biden is going to lose out on if he doesn't have Elizabeth, if he doesn't have uh, Kamala Harris as his running mate. But I can tell you that if he picks her as his running mate between his criminal justice record and hers, there will be a sliver of black people, in particular black men, who may not be all that thrilled.
0: I think that's fair. My, the The case I've always made for Kamala Harris is this, and, and some people may actually take this as an insult, but I actually think this is high political compliment. I think different groups of Democratic constituencies can look at Kamala Harris and see what they want to see. If you're a progressive, you can see someone who's progressive enough. If you're an African American, hey, hold on, hold on. I, what
1: progressive I, human being on the planet is Senator Harris because she's a progressive. But that's yeah.
0: but but Jay, I'm I'm going to get to my point, right? You can you can you me. can squint, you can squint and say, okay good enough she passes right you can if you're an african-american um you know period or if you're an african-american woman you see representative diversity right if you are somebody um who wants to see the party have a generational break you see a younger newer generation of politician if you're an obama democrat you kind of see a tie to the obama era like i think enough types of democrats that that joe biden needs to bind together in this winning coalition i think Kamala Harris can be visible to all of those groups and she can, she can do the thing that all of those groups will at least find palatable enough to feel confident in Joe Biden. And, and I think that's the case. So I, I take your point. No, I don't think Kamala Harris is like, wearing you know, holding a progressive flag and like leading the parade, but she's progressive enough. She is all these other things enough. And I think That's the case for Kamala Harris, especially when you consider that Joe Biden, it is very on brand with his campaign to do no harm. I think Kamala Harris is also the most do no harm candidate of all of these candidates we're considering.
1: Yeah, I mean, she she she's not going to hurt you. I don't know that she helps you that that much. Um, But, yeah, I mean, I I think – and she fits his politics. I mean, you know, like I said, I push back. I don't know what anybody would say to Senator Harris is progressive other than to simply say that our lines uh, and our perception, the public perception of what is left, right, and center has been yanked so far, so, so far uh, to the extremes that, you know, she probably counts for what is a centrist Democrat today – but I mean, heck, a centrist Democrat today has a baseline universal coverage plan for yeah. healthcare, which was a crazy idea 12 years ago when Obama ran. So you know, it, it, the lines are—you know—the goalpost keeps moving. I think um, you, go to, you go to Warren second. Um, I think I think Elizabeth Warren. The positives are there. She ran a campaign. She gets people enthusiastic. Eight million in selfies. Good marketing. Good branding big ideas that she actually has history of accomplishing. Um, The drawbacks, if we were going to do, say, a SWOT analysis, is that she is old. Um, Biden has, without specifically saying so, sort of painted himself into the corner that he probably needs to pick somebody black. Um, And while I think Warren will do so much better. With young people, and Warren can actually appeal to disaffected Bernie voters, and Warren can actually appeal to legitimate progressives. She has little or no real, tangible connection to the Black community. Um, and while I know there's a lot of Black women who are down with her and have been from the beginning, I mean, she's just she's just a, you know another white candidate, and I I don't think that doesn't help in a campaign season that's going to be very much dedicated very much dedicated to uh getting turnout and getting turnout of your key constituents so that's that's the top two what what those are the the top
0: two? two let me give you the let me give you the other two i want to hear hear what you think susan rice and karen best let's start with susan rice so what 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 would you think what what's the case for susan rice
1: I mean, rice and bass sounds like a fantastic meal in the local <laughs> Caribbean place, but I really don't see. I don't see either of these. Even if you mix them together and add some spice, I don't see. Ain't, ain't nobody eating off these people. So, I, I, Look, I think they're – here's the thing with Susan Rice. Okay, so she's a nationally known figure, I guess, if you're an insider politico. Have we ever seen her? it We don't have real tryouts because everything has been shut down for COVID. Do we know that Susan Rice can can move a crowd? Do we know that Susan Rice can can do a handshake line that's interesting? Do we know that Susan Rice is compelling or interesting? No, we know that she's a a very good, very qualified bureaucrat. She also has a son who is like an ultra right winger, which is gonna end up blowing up in her face at some time during the campaign. And she's got Benghazi attached to her. And while Benghazi was an absolute hoax, fraud, garbage, trash, from the alt-right that were masquerading as the Republican Party, it is still a throwback scandal, and it's not the kind of thing that you want anybody thinking or talking about during the election. So
0: Yeah, and I and, and I think look, I think the case for Susan Rice is like responsible administration of government, right? Which is look that in, in this moment you could say, you know, hey look, we want grown ups, we want adults that have experience that know how to do this. We want someone with an international presence, an international profile who can really be a, a partner in government with Joe Biden. The case against her is she's never run for office. You've never heard her answer a question about what she thinks about a woman's right to choose or what she thinks about all these other sundry of kind of democratic um, orthodoxy type issues, right? Like things that a new candidate, a nascent candidate can easily get caught up on. And then I think you, you talk about Benghazi, but I actually think it's more than that. I think she's an avatar for the right, um, you know, of how they like to kind of You know, she's the boogeyman that they can all dream up and they can basically spend the next 80, 85, 90 days doing target practice. You know, um, you know, uh, speaking, of course, uh, not not literally, but, you know, essentially doing political target practice at Susan Rice. Just talking about her as kind of um, this one, this failed member of the Obama administration. Right. They can talk about Benghazi, but also just she can heat up the right in a way that. I don't know if Biden and his team are ready to handle, or if they can actually push back on that. Look, I'm under no aspersions. I think they're going to turn anybody into a boogeyman, but I think Susan Rice is easier to turn into a boogeyman, and I think that's the case against her.
1: I mean, well, I mean, you can turn her into a boogey person, and again, if we're going with the do no harm, um, then this isn't like necessarily the best way to go. But you know, again, I, I don't, I don't think she's got enough of a national profile, and there probably needs to be somebody on this ticket that you can at least pretend bring some sort of new and unique excitement. And I don't know that that's necessarily Susan Rice. The same thing goes with Karen Bass. Look, I've, I've, I've met Karen Bass. She's CBC head. She's, she's smart, capable. None of those things are really the issue. But does she have the star wattage of an Elizabeth Warren? Does she have the star wattage of a uh, Senator Harris? Does she have the star wattage of Stacey Abrams? No. I mean, did she, did she feature prominently in the impeachment hearings like Val Demings? No. And you gotta have something. Something. There's, one thing,
0: say, Jason, there's one thing, Jason. There's one thing. One thing against her. Cuba. That's it. Florida. Florida's gone because I just heard. And, and look, and I hate to play into these kind of tropes and these things. You know, Marco Rubio was on a call with the Trump campaign the other day calling her communist Karen. That's stupid. That's dumb. That's intellectually right. dishonest. But. That's what they're going to do. (laughs) They're going to spend, I mean, again, they're going to spend the next 85 days, you know, calling her everything except the son of God and she's going to become their avatar, and, and she's going to basically take Florida completely off the board, which, surprisingly, I would, I, I actually believe this entire cycle that Democrats needed a path to 270 that didn't include Florida. I, I still agree with that, but Florida's in play, for real now. And I think you take Florida off the board if you pick somebody like that that can agitate that, that Cuban community in South Florida.
1: I, look, I don't, think, I, I don't think that the way we have conceived of campaigns in the past is really necessarily going to be all that applicable this time, and one of the reasons that I think that is because it, it's it's just COVID. Sorry, everybody, COVID is going to make everybody think very differently about these kinds of issues, you know. And, and I don't think that the the Cuban population of Florida, if we speak about them generically, the conservative Republican Cuban population of Florida, given what age they may be at, I, I just know I don't think those people are going to end up making that much of a difference one way or another. Um, you know, Florida is going to be tough, not because of, of, of who you would have as a running mate, but it's going to be tough because it's run by by uh, uh, DeSantis. And DeSantis is going to make sure that he cheats. And DeSantis is going to make sure that he does whatever it is he can to, to mess up the votes in Broward County. I just don't believe that this is going to be an election year where the kind of small... You know, oh, my gosh, she said this, she said that. I just don't think those things are going to apply this year. And ultimately, going back to Elizabeth Warren, going back to Senator Harris, nobody's voting for the VP this year. They're voting for Uncle Joe because people are saying that Donald Trump has not accomplished what he needed to accomplish. And I think the difference is not going to end up being black voters. It's not going to necessarily be black turnout. It's going to be large numbers of unhappy white people.
0: I, I, agree with, I agree with you, Jay, but here's yeah. where I think it's a little bit different. Uh-huh. This cycle, unlike any other, the VP is essentially you're, – you're, you're naming the head of the Democratic Party for the next 10 years because I think a lot of people think Joe Biden's only going to run one term. Let's say that's not the case. Let's say he even runs two. I mean, uh-huh. Elizabeth Warren, this is her last chance to be president, right? Like if Elizabeth uh-huh. Warren is not – the by the end of these next 10 days, she's not Joe Biden's VP pick – Elizabeth Warren will never be president, and I think her, she and her allies know that. So I think that's why it's so hyper-focused. I agree with you. Nobody goes into a booth to pull the lever for a VP candidate, but I think this VP choice is uncommonly important because this is, you're essentially naming the future titular head of the Democratic Party, and I think this signals where the party is going, and I think that is a big deal.
1: I, I man, I'm telling you, outside of what i think of of my friends in arizona and in northeast ohio and charlotte and atlanta and all the different kinds of places that don't give a give a crap about this sort of internal stuff in washington dc ain't nobody thinking about wow you know what joe biden's person has to be the person no one's thinking about that people are thinking about the fact that you know an entire college campus worth of black people have died in four months because of the mismanagement of coronavirus and 52 million people are out of work and we're not gonna have football. That's what people are thinking about. And I'm not even saying people are dumb. I'm not trying to be facetious. I'm saying the idea that the vice presidential pick resonates that strongly with your average voter because they're thinking about 10 years down the road. Most people aren't thinking about two weeks down the road because they don't have the job security or they're worried that they already lost their job and their benefits. I don't don't see any of these things I don't see any of these things playing out the way we think. Joe Biden, again, my guess, my opinion, haven't changed. I think Joe Biden's going to pick Senator Harris. There's going to be a sort of mock excitement for people who, you know, are going to pretend that they're surprised. I've always thought that him picking Senator Harris was highly likely. I never thought that any of those sort of past kerfuffles or whatever it is from the campaign are going to matter. And I think the fact that it's basically been telegraphed, you know, for months and months and months and months and months, and the fact that you have people who have popped out and basically tried to do an oppo drop on her and Karen Bass has just made it all the more obvious that she's the pick. And, I, and again, I don't think there's one person in America who, upon Joe Biden picking Senator Harris, is going to say, My God, I was not, not planning on voting. But now, <laughs> now, that the, now that the junior senator from, from California is on the ticket now i have reaffirmed my belief in democracy that ain't
0: happening i think those are all fair points the one point i'll leave you with before we move on from this topic is this Mm -hmm. 10 years ago when joe biden was chosen as barack obama's right 12 years ago sorry when joe biden was chosen would anybody have assumed that he'd be running for president 12 years later and 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 i guess my point is saying that is that's the power of the vice presidency would anybody have assumed that mike pence would be a potential future head of the Republican party before Donald Trump plucked him out of obscurity. He wasn't even going to, he, he wasn't even, he was going to be a relic in his own state in Indiana before Donald Trump did that. The shine of these offices, I do think has a somewhat of an effect on people where it gives people kind of the blessing, um, that it makes them feel bigger, even if they have their own shortcomings and their own failings. So I, I, I take your point, but I do think just, projecting forward the future of the Democratic Party. I think that's why so many people are so worked up in some of the topics we're going to get to later uh, about uh, some of these folks chatting and chatting um, out of that VP committee. I I think that's why we're getting a lot of chatter coming out of there. But, Dr. Jason, stick with me for a second here. It's the Here Comes the Pain podcast. I'm your host, Joel Payne. We're presented by Hip Politics Network. We're going to take a quick break, and then we're going to come right back with uh, my friend Dr. Jason Johnson here, and we're going to keep talking about The Veep Stakes. And we want to talk specifically about whether or not Joe Biden has to pick a black woman for this spot. There's been so much talk that obviously he's going to pick a woman. Is it going to be a black woman? I want to hear straight from Dr. Jason Johnson. We'll be right back on the Here Comes the Pain podcast. And we're back. It's the Here Comes the Pain podcast. I'm your host, Joel Payne. We're presented by Hip Politics Network. Joined this week by MSNBC political contributor, uh, professor of politics at Morgan State University, um, man of many uh, titles that I'm not even going to try to rattle off here because I'm going to forget some, the great Dr. Jason Johnson. Jason, thank you so much for joining us.
1: I am glad to be here, ready to make
0: some trouble. All right, let's make some trouble, make some good trouble in honor of uh, Congressman Lewis. So let's get back to our conversation here about the Veep Stakes. And, you know, obviously we we talked about a number of different candidates here. You were pretty clear that you think that Senator Harris and Senator Warren are the clear top two candidates. Let's actually kind of talk about them in the context of whether or not Joe Biden is boxed into picking a black woman This cycle, Obviously, Kamala Harris is a black woman. Elizabeth Warren is not. And I think my sense of this is that if you ask kind of insiders or almost I would say like political elites, I think it's a little bit more important to them than to like rank and file voters like you ask, like my mom, my aunt, my dad. Right. Um, You know, just kind of every person Democrat. I think they kind of want Joe Biden to pick the right person that's going to help him beat Donald Trump and they don't care if it's a a black person I think they sure they wouldn't mind if it's a black person but if it's not they're not gonna abandon him but I think you get a different answer if you talk to different people about that I I guess my question to you would be what say you do you do you feel like this is a critical um, you know point of contention for the Biden campaign
1: so I look at it like this let's say you got a 12 year old niece okay now you have been telling your 12-year-old niece all year that you were going to get her a bike for her birthday. Did she ask you for a bike? No. Does she need a bike? No. Does she even go on bike rides that often? Not really. But you said it, or you gave her the impression you were going to do it, and said, so now, you
0: better get her that bike. This is Joe Biden's bike situation with the public. <laughs> Wasn't
1: nobody asking him for a black VP Nobody was demanding it Nobody black was saying that's the only way I'm going to be enthusiastic Nobody asked for this But he kept talking about it And he kept hinting about it And even if he technically never necessarily said All the names he kept floating were black women He kept talking about um, Senator Harris Well he didn't talk about Harris But he talked about Stacey Abrams And he talked about Michelle Obama And so at some point you going to give me that bite and that's, that's what he's done. And what what gets me, from the standpoint of, of campaign strategy, it was kind of foolish on his behalf, because what he did was he eliminated his ability to make a big splash by laying so many darn breadcrumbs around that you know that the cats and roaches everybody got to it first. If he had just said, "I am committed to picking a really good vice president," And that's all he had said throughout the primary in the last couple of months. Then eventually picking an African-American woman as VP would have been, whoa, yo, look at Joe Biden knocking over the table. But he doesn't have that anymore. So is it necessary? Yes, just like it was necessary to give give 12-year-old knees the bite. But was it called for? No.
0: Yeah, I think I think that's a really good uh, metaphor you raised there, Jay. And, and I guess the way I kind of think about it, similar to your metaphor, is like this. You know, I think, is it possible for Joe Biden to win the presidency um, and particularly to win the presidency on the backs of African-American voters without a black vice president? Yeah, I, I think so. I think that's possible. I think that's probably likely. But do you want to spend the next 90 days explaining why you didn't pick one of these very highly qualified black women? Like, essentially, you I, I think you're going to be compelled to explain yourself right to the grass tops leaders of the Democratic Party, to these interest groups, um, these groups of very powerful black women who have become activated and God bless them for doing so. But I think you're going to have to basically explain to them why you felt that Elizabeth Warren or Gretchen Whitmer or some non black woman was more qualified than Kamala Rice, Susan Harris, Val Demings, Karen Bass. We, we, we just spent a lot of time talking about all the pluses and minuses of all these candidates, but we have some powerhouse, heavyweight, top-of-the-line black women who are more than eligible for this job. And so if you're the Biden campaign, do you really want to spend precious political capital where you want to unite the party, where you want to be getting people excited about voting? Do you want to explain use that time to explain why you felt like Elizabeth Warren was more qualified to be vice president than Kamala Harris? That's the question. It's not whether you can or you can't. I think he probably could win. It's just mm-hmm. is that the most is that the most direct viable path to you know not only to to winning but to winning comfortably?
1: I mean it's also just very simply
0: he does owe black people. I mean his whole campaign was dead in the water. talk about it so yeah, so the argument that like. You
1: owe us something. I mean, think about it. Joe Biden doesn't have the most distinguished career on the face of the planet. He ran once in 88, blew it, ran in 2008, couldn't handle it, basically got taken off the dustbin the, the, the dust of, of campaign history. Not to say that he's not a good guy and hasn't served well, but Joe Biden was just going to be another long-term Democratic senator in the history of this country until Barack Obama tacked him on the shoulder and said, "Hey, I want you to to be the Paul Newman to my Tom Cruise," and and that's what he did. And so, when you look at someone whose entire life, whose entire career trajectory, whose entire history, the way history is going to be written about Joe Biden will be completely different because of black people. Then it ain't too much to ask that he finds a black person to share some of that fairy dust with, and that's what it boils down to. Um, I've always thought that if you ask me from a policy perspective, who would be the best candidates for black people, I used to write a little something called the power rankings, right? I never thought Joe Biden was a top candidate as far as what he would offer black people, but oftentimes we ranked Elizabeth Warren, uh, Senator Harris, and, and, and Julian Castro as the top two or three candidates that we have there. So Biden owes black people. It's about darn time. Elizabeth Warren is not a black woman, and Senator Harris is. So, Jason,
0: Jason, that's, Jason, that's a really that, that's a really interesting point, though. You you talk about you know I, I was a I was a consumer of your power rankings, and I thought they were well, very well written. And I, I think the point that you often made when you went through the different candidates—look, Elizabeth Warren—if you just kind of go pound for pound, like looking at who has the best plans—I mean, I think a lot of folks would say it was more impactful for black people than. Kamala Harris, then Cory Booker, Um, then really a lot... Like, she had the ideas war cornered, right? She won the ideas primary, I think, around how to really engage and how to motivate black voters through the primary. You know, we know that there are several reasons why Joe Biden ended up winning the nomination. I don't think black voters were going through policy papers when they were deciding to support him. But the point being... Are black people like are we sure because I think I think what my gut feeling here is that a lot of black folks are uncomfortable with the idea that maybe the candidate who has demonstrated kind of the most commitment to their issues does not look like them like Elizabeth Warren may have the most powerhouse issues for black America she may have the best black America agenda but she obviously would not be the representative Type of diversity that Black Americans would be looking for, so that conflict there has to be something to be considered, right?
1: Are you telling me that Elizabeth Warren may not be the hero that we asked for, but the one that we need?
0: I think I think I mean, that's like, exactly what I'm saying. Look, yeah.
1: Dude, but this, this is what's so funny about this to me. And I can I can think of of uh, uh, Yvette Simpson and Cincinnati. I can think of Tashara Jones. I can think of Keisha Abrams. Keisha
0: Lance Bottoms in Atlanta. I'm sorry Keisha Lance Bottoms in Atlanta, who Keisha she Lance beat. In
1: yeah. My, my, my point being when you talk about sort of advocacy for black issues, many African American politicians, and especially black women, because of institutional racism, both in the institutions of government and how people are elected and how money is raised and how you get nominations and how you get endorsements, and everything else like that, have often not been able to be as progressive or radical, as reformers and policy as they would want to be because they've got to thread this needle between sexism and racism and all sorts of other kinds of issues so the idea that people look at someone like senator harris like oh my gosh you know she's not as strong on our issues as Elizabeth Warren is she didn't have the freedom to be as strong on black issues because she had to convince tons and tons of white voters that she wasn't just gonna be the candidate for black people and i don't say that to excuse African-American politicians for not, you know, not taking their shot when they need to, right? I mean, there are plenty of criticisms I have of of President Obama, but the fact of the matter is to say on any level that I think that Elizabeth Warren is going to be, you know, better on black issues than Senator Harris is to sort of ignore that Senator Harris probably had limitations that Warren did. So, yes, on paper, of course, Warren would be better on black issues on paper. But then again, Warren didn't face the kind of limitations that Harris did. Yeah. I just—I always think that—I always think that one's a little bit unfair. We—we we don't know. We gotta sometimes trust the heart of African American politicians and say, look, you know, would would Barack Obama have liked to do more? Yeah, I suspect he would. But you know, a, a borderline insurgency began the moment that guy got into office to try and make him a one-term president, and stop anything he wanted to do.
0: I think those are all good points. The last thing I would add too is this kind of this conflict that I'm, I'm teasing out here, I think it really kind of reflects the trauma that black voters are feeling from kind of like what the perceived lessons are of like the last 15 years of politics. Like, I actually think there are a lot of black voters who don't trust, you You talked about this a lot, and you you actually were a very big, bold voice on this during the primary season. So many black voters don't trust their white neighbors and friends and counterparts to be able to have a black choice, right? There's a lot of black voters who just, we don't trust the white folks around us because we don't know if they're ready for A black woman VP or what have you and so I think what ends up happening is the reason why a lot of rank-and-file folks like the anecdotal stuff that I was bringing up before the reason why that happens is because there's a lack of trust and there's a trauma about all these years of watching white folks Um, not trust black politicians. Like my first political memory, Jason, is I was uh, six years old. I was in North Carolina. Harvey Gantt was running against Jesse Helms. My father was convinced Harvey Gantt was going to win. Now, 37-year-old me would have loved to go back to 1990 and tell dad that he he maybe was getting some bad political information there. But be that as it may, the point being, black folks (laughs) have been watching candidates that they felt like should be more successful for a long time not have that success and I wonder if that's what's seeping into this you know kind of situational analysis that we're talking about
1: I mean it's part of it but also it's just a lot of people who look I, I had this conversation with a, with a friend of mine earlier today from Jersey and we were talking about Senator Harris and she's not really a fan like she's not a fan of Senator Harris and she told me amongst all the black women that she knew they were all big Harris Buddhisters and I was telling her I like I only know two black women who are Harris supporters, two. That's it. Every other black woman I know, and especially old black women were not fans of hers. And so we've also, even though black people have to learn and have had to learn how to be strategic voters because you may or may not be able to trust your white neighbors, that's fundamentally different than how we've had to learn how to trust white politicians. Um, Because, you know, while what she said was offensive and problematic, When Hillary Clinton in two thousand eight said basically it took LBJ to make MLK's dream come true, she wasn't entirely wrong. She was just out of context. It's kind of like saying it took Ray Allen to get you know LeBron James a ring. Well, (laughs) yeah, but I mean you got to ignore the previous the previous forty four minutes in the game. So that's that's part of it. I mean, African Americans. I don't think that there's somebody out there who's like, man. I really want Kamala Harris, but I, I don't think that white people will vote for her. I think we're past that point. Hey, some I people are at the point where the, the country is so problematic that everybody's ready to go, but there's still an issue of, of trust. And I, I, and I think we're going to see something that's going to change that this fall, but only because we have a global pandemic that's killed 154,000 people.
0: Jay, some people would say it took Greg Popovich taking Tim Duncan out the game to get LeBron that, that ring, but, um, you know, that's for. Those people would what, be wrong. <laughs> <laughs> they'll, Those that'll they'll
1: be, be. Exceptionally th- wrong.
0: It'll that be, that'll be, be for ignoring. another podcast. <laughs> it'll be ignoring Chris
1: Bosh's amazing defensive play on Manu Ginobili with like a second left.
0: I, I agree. I agree. It's the Here Comes the Pain podcast. I'm your host Joel Payne. We're presented by Hip Politics Networks. I'm um, being joined for a great conversation by my friend Dr. Jason Johnson. We're gonna take another quick break, and we're gonna come back for one more topic. But again, it's the Here Comes the Pain podcast, and we'll be right back with you. <laughs> All right, it's the Here Comes the Pain podcast. I'm your host, Joel Payne. We're presented by Hip Politics Network. Appreciate you joining us today. We are joined on the podcast this week by my friend, Dr. Jason Johnson, who's been giving us some great takes, not just about politics, but about sports. He's making me rethink LeBron's legacy. He's uh, giving me ideas about how to zhuzh up the sh- the show. Um, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, hopefully, maybe one day I can afford to hire him as a consultant. But I, I feel like he's my- maybe a little bit out of my price range right now. Jay, what's going on, man?
1: I am alive and uh, and
0: happy to be here. <laughs> yeah, all right, wonderful. Well, so last topic, Jason. Let's um, let's kind of get into this story that kind of went uh, semi-viral. Last week, and this was the whole idea of the VP search committee, um, which, of course, is four members of uh, probably most prominent member of the VP search committee is uh, former Connecticut senator Chris Dodd, the namesake of Dodd, Frank, and kind of very well known to kind of D.C., you know, folks like me and you. Right. Um, He has been a little leaky or people he's been talking to have been a little leaky about his true feelings about Senator Kamala Harris as a potential vice president for Joe Biden. And he expressed some of his. Uh, Concerns because, of course, she attacked Joe Biden during the debate, blah, 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 blah. Basically, it came down to people thinking he was taking a shot at Kamala Harris for being ambitious and didn't feel like she would fall in line enough as a number two. That's a kind of a catch all for it. But before I jump to you, I'll also just kind of frame up. Ed Rendell is not formally on the committee, but is thought to be a close advisor, a close ally to the Biden camp, particularly to the former vice president, has also been very critical in print about Kamala Harris and about um, her candidacy and has kind of said some things that I think gets people kind of thinking that he's pitting black women against each other. He's talking about how Karen Bass, um, she wouldn't give you some of the problems that Kamala Harris would. It's just getting a little, it's getting a little funky up in the kitchen, Jay. And so I kind of, you know, I want you to let loose on this. I've heard you talk a little bit about this on TV, but I'd love to kind of get your thoughts on just this situation and Um, what you see when you kind of think about these, let's just be frank here, these old white men opining on these very powerful, successful black women who are being considered for this high office.
1: I just think the whole thing is so silly. And I I, I got a piece I got to work on tonight uh, about this for the Griot with like, it's like all these bros in their feelings. I mean, they're just in their feelings and it's so crazy how the concerns that they're expressing. First off, you know, every vice president is ambitious. You think Mike Pence wasn't ambitious? The guy was running for governor. He just wasn't going to accomplish anything. You think that, I mean, you think Joe Biden wasn't ambitious? He'd run for president two times beforehand. You think that Al Gore wasn't ambitious? He ran for president. Like, this idea that ambition is somehow problematic was so silly for me. And so sexist and so racist, and I'll also say this. And this, I, I literally wrote this out. I'm like, and what exactly is the problem with an ambitious vice president? Let's say he mistakenly picks an ambitious woman. What's going to happen? Was this is this like some alternative Star Trek mirror universe where she's going to assassinate him and put on a mustache and say, Maha, "I am now the president." Like, like what history do we have of overly ambitious vice presidents? You know metaphorically or policy-wise undermining or stabbing presidents in the back. There is none. There is none. So it literally has no precedent for it ever being a problem under any and all circumstances. So whether it's Chris Dodd or Ed Rendell or anybody else, and Ed Rendell today was the guy talking about Susan Rice saying, you know, she smiled better and it was nice. I mean, it was basically this classic, you know, Texas old man
0: hey I'm why don't you smile more All right. I was like good gracious dude just I, I think what's
1: been i think what's been most telling to me is that for anybody out there who ever doubted senator harris's authenticity or connection to the black community take a look at how she's been treated over the last week and a half Okay this is what you get for being smart, doing your job, being effective and being one of the what four people in the history of this country to ever accomplish what you accomplish is you have people saying that you're disloyal you have people saying that you're snooty If that ain't the suffering and the difficulties and the needle threadling of, of, of black women I don't know what else is.
0: yeah so I, I just
1: I found the whole thing problematic and you notice the only people who've had opPO dropped on them are Harris. And, and, Bass. And, and Bass
0: Yeah Well, I, so that's a different thing I think I know who's dropping the oppo, personally uh, I, I, I will I think it's one of the other candidates Obviously it's one of the other candidates But I think it's one of the other candidates that is dropping some of the oppo Just if you look at some of the breadcrumbs that are being left Particularly that political story about Chris Dodd I'll just say this Why the hell is Harry Reid, who I worked for Why is he making a quote in that article? So I'll just I'll just I'll just suggest the people to just kind of connect some of the dots there and look at that and tell me whether or not they think it's an accident that Harry Reid had a quote in that story. But be be that as it may, Jay, I think I agree with all the points that you made. I think you're right. I think it is sexist. Um, I think there are tinges of racism in it, and there is kind of there's this, such this generational kind of fight for power right within the party, and these old guys who can't get over the fact that it's not their time anymore and and i think the problem here for joe biden is this and i and i actually don't think that this is maybe how joe biden sees the world but i do think from a perception standpoint this is the challenge that he faces especially if you want to convince young people black people women that you are a believer in a kind of diverse big tent kind of party where it's not just old white men making decisions you have to have better judgment than allowing your committee and your inner circle to be shrouded with these kinds of folks. Biden actually enters this thing with an entourage, unlike Barack Obama, right? Like Barack Obama was unburdened by like political entourage because he was such a newcomer. Joe Biden has been collecting these people for 40 years. The Ted Kaufman's of the world, the Chris Dodds of the world, the Ron Klains, and I'm not saying that these gentlemen, these folks aren't talented. But he's been collecting them, frankly, in the same way that Hillary Clinton had been collecting folks for 20, 30, 40 years. And when you have those kind of honorages around you, it makes it hard to see new people or new ideas or to hear new thinking and new thoughts. That's what I see. I see Biden made an error in judgment and even having Chris Dodd on this committee. If you want to have him in your ears an informal advisor, Fine, but to have him on a committee in a position of influence out front like this, and then not to put a pipe in it for everybody and tell everybody, hey, shut the hell up, pipe down. Like, that's a that's a judgment thing that I do think I worry about for the Biden camp.
1: Yeah, but I don't, again, I don't think ultimately it's in, it's gonna end up making that much of a difference. And, you know, I I was literally having some conversations. I was putting together a piece. Um, But I was literally having conversations about this last week with members of the Biden campaign. And it's like, and and literally right now, um, you know, he's apparently extended how long he's going to take to make his decision anyway. And and I think what it's going to boil down to is, you know, it doesn't matter who leaks. It doesn't matter who talks. It doesn't matter who flexes. It doesn't matter who drops oppo. What it's going to boil down to is joe biden is very likely going to make a decision at the last minute it's just it's just going to be what his gut tells him it's going to be what his heart tells him and everybody's going to pretend it matters even though it won't even though it's going to have like a negligible impact on this election but everybody's going to want to talk about it because it's the only thing we have to talk about and and that's what i that's what i think is kind of crazy about it that you know in the end as much as he's had these sort of just foolish foolish leaks by all these folks who just keep thinking so naively so incredibly naively because i gotta tell you these guys like like chris the people who were leaking
0: this stuff about harris you know that stuff didn't hit the way they thought it would at all no it, really backfired. It,
1: like, we got it, now. it backfired we got it backfired yeah it blew up in their faces
0: <laughs> i think i think that's right jay Um, I think it totally backfired, and I think probably it did Harris maybe more favor publicly because I actually think some of the things you were saying earlier about Kamala Harris and some of her weaknesses, particularly with black women, that's there. That's a real thing. And I think for some black women to see some alliance with someone like Kamala Harris and how she's being treated, I think is probably not the worst thing for Kamala Harris at this point in her political career where things go, you know, the, the road could fork one way or the other. I think this is probably on on you know kind of net this is probably a good development for kamala harris even if it is infuriating at the same time jay i want to ask you one last question i'm gonna get you up out of here um i have been thinking this entire time that this vice president pick which i agree with you once the news cycle passes it will this will not this will not be what people have in their mind when they're pulling the lever for their candidate but i think that this tells you where the Biden campaign thinks the race is. If they go conservative, small c, and if they decide to make no waves and go with the, the candidate, the VP candidate, that causes kind of the least noise, that tells you they got this thing in the bag. We just can't mess this up. We, we're gonna, we're, if, if we were golfing, they're just gonna lay up. They're not gonna try to hit it over the, over the drink, right? They're gonna lay it up and they're gonna play conservative. They're gonna play for par. If they go for someone that's a little outside the box, I think it kind of speaks to something, some rumblings I've been hearing from the Biden folks, which is that they're really concerned about enthusiasm and they feel like they need the juice of a high level surrogate that can excite Democrats in a way that maybe the candidate at the top of the ticket can't. That, that's how I think about this. It It really tells you more of a temperature reading about what the Biden folks think about their chances and what they need going forward than anything.
1: Yeah, I don't think that they've got anybody who we know who has been vetted that suggests that they're willing to do something radical in it. And that goes back to what I said at the beginning. It's either Harris or it's Warren. Warren, you know, you're symbolically because you talked yourself into a corner. The time to pick a dynamic, oh, my goodness, not, you know, kick down the door, waving a 4-4, changing the whole game candidate was picking Stacey Abrams. And they haven't asked her to be vetted. And that's that would have been your game changer candidate. That would have been your. Everybody gets up from the table, looks up from their chairs, looks up from their their potato salads like, whoa, oh, okay, okay, Joe Biden. That would have been that pick, but he's not going to make that pick. And so everybody else that you have is pretty much going to be somebody that we're already prepared for. I mean, I mean, like I said, there's no letdown to be had because you've been telegraphing this for weeks, and 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 the perfect wrap up. So guess what happens after you've been talking and hinting, even if it wasn't something that somebody asked for, don't be surprised when you show up with a big old wrapped bicycle for your 12 year old niece and say, here's your bike. And she's like,
0: thanks, Uncle Joel. Hey, I want to show you my new TikTok, right? Right, <laughs>
1: she's not right. not going to care. She's not going to care. And, and you've been telegraphing it to her for so long, even if you give her the bike and all the colors that she wants. There is no there's no cool bike that you can give her there's no conservative bike that you can give her because you already she already knew she was getting a bike and and if the biden campaign they have they have talked themselves they have leaked themselves they have moved themselves so far out of any opportunity to pick something dynamic and new that what we're going to get will inevitably be a disappointment to only people who thought that we were going to get something exciting, but to everybody else who was paying attention. is like, Oh, this is what I expected.
0: I think you have uh, ended on a great note. You've given all of us trauma back to our worst birthday gifts and worst yeah. Christmas gifts. And we were thinking about, I, I can remember a couple myself, but I'm not going to put it on wax. Cause my mom and dad listened to the podcast. Um, but I, yeah, question. yeah, so go okay, for it, man. Yeah. So
1: what is just off the top of your head? What's like the greatest Christmas gift you ever got?
0: Oh man. Okay. This is so I, I wanna say it's something electronic. Like I remember when the Sega Genesis came out and I got the I got the Sega Genesis and that was probably the first time where I was like, "Whoa, Christmas! What, what is this? Like, what? You know, because before it's just like a concept. It's just like, oh, okay, whatever. But then it's like, oh, we we getting electronics now. We getting, right, we right. you know, we getting all these games. We getting uh, Madden, and we getting all of this stuff. We getting we Sonic did, the Hedgehog. High quality stuff right, right, right. So it's probably that, that's probably the one. Okay. What about okay, you? What right. about you? You know, my
1: the, the first gift that really made me like flip out was Mega Man Two. for Nintendo. And I love the Mega Man series, which has, you know, been around 50,000 years. It was one of those things where it was like, not only was it great, but my parents actually surprised me. They legitimately surprised me because we had gone through all the Christmas stuff and opened up the gifts and me and my brother were happy and playing with our toys and stuff like that. And then my mom pulled the whole like, wait, is there somebody out front? And they like went outside and they like had the game and they like hit it outside and I was like bouncing off the wall. You, you gotta
0: you gotta know, respect like, the theatrics, man. The theatrics are crazy.
1: Hey, that's that's what works. And I I played that game. Not only did I play that game darn near until it melted. You remember the old Nintendo? Oh yeah, blowing the cartridges. But on top of that, like when they when they came out with a modern version where they had like all the Mega Man games on a DVD that you could play on your PlayStation, like I got that because I missed playing the game that much. But I mean, again. Christmas is full of surprises, political campaigns
0: usually are. That's right. Well, listen, um, I have gotten a lesson in gift-giving. I've gotten a lesson in politics today from the great Jason Johnson, who is a political contributor for MSNBC. Uh, You can probably see him damn near every day on TV. I know I watch him, and I just point a personal privilege here. Jay is one of my guys because as I have been trying to get the hang of this TV thing, Every time I've had a question, every time I've needed counsel, Jason's been there for me. He's been a big brother, and I very much appreciate it, and I'm so grateful that he joined the show today. Dr. Jason Johnson, thank you so very much. We appreciate you. Anything we should be on the lookout from you? I know you're writing some stuff. Anything that the audience should be looking out for from you?
1: So I got, I got a big piece that's going to come out later on this week. Uh, I talked to Danielle Brown, uh, who is, as of today, on a – this is the 30th day of a hunger strike she's doing um, in Pittsburgh about the death of her son at Duquesne University in 2018. It is an amazing story. Um, I actually cheered up while writing. I've never spoken to someone who was in the midst of a hunger strike. And when we talk about Black Lives Matter, it's not just going to be the high profile cases where all the newspapers are there and all the cameras are there. We gotta look for the people who are making the slow, steady battle every single day to get justice for young black men and women who die under mysterious circumstances, her son, Went out the window 16 stories to
0: his death at Duquesne University in 2018 and there's never been a full investigation Powerful stuff. I'm so grateful that you're telling those stories and so grateful that you joined us here today. Thank you so much Dr. Jason Johnson and this is Joel Payne. I'm the host of the Here Comes a Pain podcast presented by Hip Politics Network Thank you so much to everybody for joining this week and we'll be right back at you next week with some new content Thanks. Be well. God bless